This is WCNY's The Capitol Press Room, and we're joined in the studio by frequent flyer Lucy Lang, the state's Inspector General. Welcome back to the show, Inspector General. It's a pleasure to be here, Dave. Thanks for having me. So about a year ago, you were on the show to talk about the uh, publication of anonymized complaint data that your office has received, uh, with new data actually going online as we speak today, November 6th. Do you think this look under the hood, as you put it, has been meaningful to New Yorkers? We know that the traffic to our open data portal has been voluminous, that we have had thousands and thousands of views on this site. We know that hundreds of times our data sets have been downloaded, which means that New Yorkers are doing exactly what it is we hoped they would, taking our data and crunching it and trying to better understand the work that we do. Our freedom of information requests have increased 22% since we started posting this data, which also tells us that people are trying to dig in and learn more. Our complaints have increased about 6% since the open data publication, so I also think that it is helping people see that we are a resource and that they can bring their complaints to us. What do you think the connection is between publishing data and getting additional records requests? As we make a push to better educate the public about the function of the inspector general and to better serve the public through that education, that uh, reporters and academics and maybe members of the public writ large are looking at our website, seeing the kinds of matters we investigate, and then saying, no, maybe I'd like to know a little bit more about that. Has the data that you publish, or I guess more specifically the analysis of that data, led to any actions by your office? Have you noticed trends or had trends reported to you that's resulted in policy decisions from your office? Or maybe publicizing this data has led you to decide that there are other transparency initiatives you want to take? What, if anything, has this meant for your office? Well, we try to make all of our resource allocation decisions based on the need that the public expresses to us. So, for example, when I first took office and observed the volume of cases that came in in and around Long Island, it became clear that we needed to take what was at that time kind of a satellite office and build it into a full regional office. So we appointed a deputy inspector general for the Long Island region who is a very seasoned attorney who is building out the staff there to better accommodate the volume of cases that come in there. Another example uh, that has postdated the publication of our data is that we've seen a real increase in complaints coming in related to the gaming industry. And as a result, rather than using the small portion of our staff, which came to us from the Gaming Commission trained in gaming investigations, we've trained the entirety of our staff around the state in how to investigate gaming-related matters in order to accommodate that increase in complaints. I'm glad you made the transition to the gambling complaints because I wanted to talk about them since they represent a sizable portion of the complaints, whether it's complaints against the State Gaming Commission or the entities it oversees, which includes horse racing, the lottery, casinos, sports wagering. Do you get the sense that gambling complaints primarily are aimed at the Gaming Commission or are the concerns about the entities they regulate? They really run the gamut, Dave. And I think that we are only in the early days of understanding what the trends look like in terms of the complaints around 
uh, gaming writ large, in part because of the recent developments around mobile sports betting and the potential for fraud and abuse in that area. But you asked about ways in which our transparency initiatives have informed how we've decided to run the office. And as you'll recall, when we first, when I first took office about two years ago now, we made a commitment to start publishing all of the previously unpublished letters that we send to agencies with non-criminal but recommendations related to investigations. And so just today we put out a number of recent letters, including one related to gaming, which was an employee who was doing an unauthorized side business. And so some of it is the sort of stuff we see in every area of state government, that people are maybe committing time and attendance abuse, that there are uh, misappropriation of state resources, et cetera. And then I expect that we will see increasing patterns as the industry become more integrated into New York. The last time New York City was the subject of a major gambling expansion with the the VLT placement in Aqueduct, there ended up being a deep look at the issue from the State Inspector General's office. We're now in the process of awarding three casino licenses for the New York City area, which is even bigger business than the issue I just raised. So are you like proactively planning a big corruption look or do you anticipate at some point there are going to be some concerns raised about the citing process? One of the first people I connected with on taking office was Judge Joe Fish, who was my predecessor some time ago, who oversaw the investigation into Aqueduct, which is really, I think, a shining example of an inspector general's real independence from the governor who appointed him. And that stands as a terrific demonstration of what an inspector general can do in terms of rooting rooting out corruption in state government. The way we are thinking about it now, knowing what we know based in part on that history, is that prevention is absolutely key. So as of this week, our staff have trained uh, every member of the Gaming Commission. We have been on the ground in the casinos, in the off-track betting facilities, at the racetracks, talking to people at all levels of the profession to inform them about their ethical obligations under state law and to make clear that we're available as a resource and that we will protect anonymous complaints and investigate everything to the fullest of our ability. Well, before we move on, let me reintroduce you for listeners just joining us. Uh, This is the Capitol Press Room, and we're speaking with State Inspector General Lucy Lang. Earlier in our conversation, you mentioned the idea of building out your Long Island office in response to the needs of your office. After two years on the job, do you feel like the broader State Inspector General's office is essentially staffed and shaped the way you want it? Look, we get upwards of 6,000 complaints a year. We, like all state agencies, could certainly benefit from more resources, but we are doing the absolute best we can with the resources we're fortunate enough to have. We have dedicated a tremendous amount to building out and ultimately replacing legacy computer systems. We are working on developing technical tools that will facilitate more efficient analysis of electronic investigative evidence, and we're really building increased capacity to do interdisciplinary work so that we bring our audit expertise together with our legal expertise on every case. But are there any other areas where, say, you feel like 
a new deputy could be created, like how you've looked at welfare and docs and sort of moved staff around and prioritized different things. Are there anything in the works like that? I mean, that's really the reason in part that we parse the data in the way that we do monthly to try to identify if there are spikes in particular areas that warrant additional attention. Now, the areas of our portfolio that have specialized staff, which is not to say that we don't expect most of our staff to handle a whole variety of cases, but include workers' compensation and welfare, because those are actually statutorily different areas of our jurisdiction, but also the Department of Corrections, which we've spoken about over the years, and what we call special investigations, so things that are time-sensitive or otherwise sensitive. And so those are the kind of large caches that we work with. And I'm always paying attention to see whether there are other areas where we might need to specialize further or direct more resources. In your time in office, have you noticed any challenge in keeping people around, especially highly specialized people? Because I have to imagine, say, if you are all trained on gambling issues, you then become very attractive to a gambling entity that says, you know, wants a regulatory uh, attorney. So is that a problem, keeping people around so that you have that institutional knowledge and that training, you know, doesn't just go to waste and go out the door? I've been really fortunate that we have some incredibly long-time public servants who have stuck with the office, who bring their expertise to bear on both our specific areas of jurisdiction and on the broader work that we do. We have lost a handful of people and worked to recruit others. So we are now pretty close to fully staffed as compared to when I started when we had about probably 30 open staffing lines. But, you know, it's a challenge in state government, as I'm sure you hear from many of my colleagues, particularly in comparison to New York City, which pays better. We're always thinking about ways that we can make sure that we're still attracting top-notch talent and that we're able to keep them when they come to us. Looking ahead to 2024, is there anything you'll be asking for from state legislators and the governor, not necessarily on the budget side of things, but maybe on the policy side or expansions of your power or clarifications of your power or anything like that? My hope is that the materials we put out serve as a resource to everyone in state government and that when we do a report uh, along the lines of the workers' compensation fraud in the Department of Corrections that we put out this summer, that decision makers will take that information into account in making their uh, policy and regulatory decisions. But I really don't see it as the position of the inspector general to be taking a stand with respect to particular policies. And I feel fortunate because that really enables me to follow every investigation where it leads. Well, in the wake of that report coming out into workers' compensation utilization in the prison system, have you heard from any state lawmakers? Did anybody say, I'd love to follow up with you uh, on this? I'd love to pick your brain? You know, that contract remains under negotiation now. And I was thinking about it about two weeks ago at the unveiling of the memorial long overdue at the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire, which was a fire that killed 140-something, mostly young women and girls recently immigrated in the early 1900s. And that really was the impetus for changes to the recently formed workers' compensation law because those young women really were killed because there were not adequate workers' protections in place. And in fact, I was at the memorial with my father, who's a longtime union member, and thinking about a long, deep union history in my family and thinking about how important the union system is in 
the United States and in particular in New York, but also feeling like in this particular instance that the abuse of this provision of the contract is really troubling and very expensive to the state and comes at tremendous cost to incarcerated people and the programming to which they're entitled and corrections officers who have to pick up the slack for people who would abuse the workers' compensation system. Getting back to the question, did you hear from any state lawmakers in the wake of that report that were interested in maybe taking legislative action on it or had some follow-up questions for you in your office? I hope that it's being used to positive effect, but have no insight into whether that's true. Well, we've been speaking with Lucy Lang. She is the State Inspector General. Inspector General Lang, thank you so much for visiting us again in the studio. It's always a pleasure, Dave. Support for the Capitol Press Room provided by the New York State AFL-CIO, a federation of 3,000 unions fighting for working people by keeping New York State union strong. Visit unionstrongny.org for more information.